We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today on The Timeline, our first guest imaginary NBA fights and will Devin fall victim to the Kardashian curse? Welcome to the Timeline Podcast. My name is Mike. Sam, I'm so excited. How are you feeling? I'm very, very excited, uh, Mike, because we finally have our first guest. Um, only yes. took us a couple of months, but we're really excited to introduce this guy. <laughs> uh, joining us today is the senior editor of MMAfighting.com, Sean Alshadi. But most importantly, he's also a Phoenix Suns fan. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, guys. I'm a huge fan of the pod, so it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I want to say... Although I am not, uh, I don't really have the time in my life to follow the MMA like I want to or the UFC like I want to. Uh, but going through some of your articles and reading the stuff that you do, it's absolutely incredible. The idea of writing long form pieces about MMA fighters and their story and the things that they're doing in the MMA has been incredible. I feel like I've learned a lot about the MMA through what you've been writing. I'm really impressed with what you do and how you write for for the UFC. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Oh, uh, well, thank you, man. I really do appreciate that. And I, I can tell you're not a big MMA fan by the way you call it the MMA. I really <laughs> like that. <laughs> as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was like, shit, man. <laughs> I want to mention one of those articles real quick on my end, too, because as I was uh, sort of cycling through some of your stuff, Sean, um, one piece that seemed really relevant to me in the wake of this weekend's events in Calgary was a piece you did a few years ago on uh, Jose Aldo. Um, yes. I think, let me pull up the article real quick. It's called The Night We Faced Aldo, and you sort of went through and interviewed a lot of his former opponents throughout his career, really gave a good look inside uh, all sorts of things about him from his technique to his demeanor to his personality. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, I thought that was really cool reading that right now as he's fresh off his win over Jeremy Stevens this weekend. First of all, what did you think of that fight? Oh, man, that was, I was blown away by that fight, to be honest. Because, I mean, that the, the night we faced Aldo Peace uh, was way back in 2015. That was right before he fought Conor. And so Conor McGregor, obviously. And, that, and so that was just like a, a very crazy singular moment in time where it was be- peaking to this incredible fight that had basically been building for two years. And ever since then, he's had an incredibly rough run. I mean, he he's lost. Tw- he had before this past weekend, he had lost twice in a row uh, to Max Holloway, who's the current champion. And they were both brutal, brutal fights uh, where he lost very badly. And coming into this past weekend, it was, there was a lot of people wondering if we had really seen the best of Jose Aldo. And he was kind of on the downslope of his career. He's 31, but he's an old 31 where in fight years, he's, he's a lot older mm-hmm. than that. He's gone through some wars. And the way he won, I mean, he, it's a, people who didn't see it, he, he just delivered this hellacious body shot to this man named Jeremy Stevens and just completely melted him. It was like a liver shot that just shut down his body. And then he just erupted into tears in the octagon and was crying and it was an emotional scene. And it, it was hard not to feel good for that guy after sort of the past couple of years that he's gone through. Um, he's the, basically the feather, greatest featherweight to ever compete. And at this point, most people just know him for getting knocked out by Conor McGregor in 13 seconds. So to see him kind of come back like this was very cool. I know it was emotional for a lot of people. Yeah, that was absolutely a, a really savage uh, body shot as I, I watched the fight the day after. Um, and then the other big event from that night was uh, Dustin Poirier taking down Eddie Alvarez round two between those two guys. Um, I have a, another question for you sort of regarding those long form journalism pieces in general is uh, just Talk a little bit about what your goals are with those, because I feel like we're in a, a digital age of media where, I mean, you see so much emphasis on visual media and on doing things now like podcasting. Um, so I think it's it's really a little bit more of a lost art form in doing what you do for MMAfighting.com. Yeah, you know, what? it's something I, I actually don't get to do now as much as I used to, and, and I, I want to keep doing it more. Um, but I've always, I mean, I grew up, reading sports illustrated every week i would get that and and or or the newspaper just whatever i would get my breakfast set up as a kid and i put the magazine or the newspaper in front of me and just pour through the pour through whatever the sports section was and all these amazing writers just gary smith and all these type of guys in sports illustrated i grew up loving these kind of this kind of features and this kind of content and uh it doesn't exist much anymore and i I feel like it's getting slowly phased out which is very unfortunate because um at least the way today's internet works, it feels as though you have someone's attention for about a minute and then they're going to move on to something else. Uh, but it, it is, I, I love doing those more than anything else I do. The, the long form type of long storytelling articles. I, I love that more than anything. And I hope, I hope it doesn't erase completely, I guess, from the sports lexicon. Like I, I hope in some way we can still have these preserved uh, and, and continue to, to evolve and happen. I think it's very important because with sports, one of the most important things is narrative and for something like what you do, which is writing these long form pieces, it adds so much context to what we're seeing. And in order to create that narrative, we need people like you writing what you do. And I don't know if there's a lot of people that do that for the UFC or MMA in general, but I really appreciate what you do. But we this is a Phoenix Suns podcast, so we got to talk about it. Yes. Uh, I know. I think you're local. Are you in Arizona, Sean? Yes, yeah. I mean, I, was, I basically spent my whole life in, in Arizona, moving around just in various places of Phoenix. Uh, right now, I live in Peoria. Uh, I'm currently 
in like a I'm currently up north in a in near Flagstaff up in Mullins Park. So yeah, I'm always in Arizona. That's great, and that's I'm guessing that's how you became a Phoenix Suns fan, <laughs> just growing up in this area. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I was I was I think as a kid, uh, like a very young kid. I was obviously into the, sort of the Barkley years and things like that, but that was also the time when it was like spinning out and I was big into Michael Jordan and as a lot of us were at that age. Uh, and, and then I kind of fell out of basketball, like I fell out of love with basketball. But then the Steve Nash air years just really mm-hmm. hit me at like the perfect time, like that early middle school, early high school era. And it, I just, me and all my friends just went full balls deep into the Steve Nash era, man. And <laughs> everything that went on with, with that era, I, I was so in love with it. And uh, I've just been a diehard ever since. And I, it's it's basically just been the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It was one of the worst decisions ever. It's been nothing but heartbreak after heartbreak, but mm-hmm. I still love him to the end, man. Yeah, I was about to say, how the last eight years as a Phoenix Suns fan treated you? <laughs> not, not very well. <laughs> how have they treated you guys? <laughs> I feel the same way. Uh, although, you know, it's kind of, it, it takes a little bit of heartbreak in order to enjoy the good things that come. Uh, just like you were talking about with Jose, it's the, it's the type of thing that adds context to, to when something good happens, when he won that fight at an old 31, uh, all of the sort of the suffering that came before it made it that much more sweet. So I'm hoping that uh, this number one pick will lead us to an era where we can actually enjoy watching basketball again. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you frame that because you're 100% right. With the night of the, the lottery... Uh, I, I was probably one of the greatest nights of my life. Like oh, <laughs> it was, it was just stupid how how happy I was for that. So yeah, I mean, I know it's been rough the past couple of years. <laughs> Have you ever considered covering the NBA? Uh, I know that you've been writing about MMA for a while now, but uh, is is that something that you've ever been interested in writing about the NBA? You know, it's interesting because that was actually like my first job uh, doing sports writing. Because when when I was in college. Uh, my like towards the latter end of my college years, I realized that like college doesn't really prepare you for anything at all. Like in terms of the real world, it was a very weird realization. And so like the last year or two of college, I basically spent just trying to get as many internships as possible, doing things that may potentially interest me to try to like figure out where I was actually going with this. Mm-hmm. And and one of the the first ones I tried was I reached out to Seth Pollock, who at the time uh, managed Bright Side of the Sun. And I just wanted to, to do anything to, that involved Bright Side of the Sun. I could be his intern, his coffee boy, whatever he wanted. Um, and he ended up giving me an internship with a new thing that they were launching with SB Nation called SB Nation Arizona, which was supposed to be like a more of a broad uh, type of Arizona all sports thing. And I, I, it didn't last long, but that, that was my intro to it. And so I, I threw myself immediately into trying to get on the sun's beat. And then I ended up doing some WNBA, the Phoenix Mercury beat just to try to get reps doing mm-hmm. it. And, uh, I, you know, I really enjoyed it, but one thing I kind of realized while doing it, a Shaq is a big dick. Like he's a huge <laughs> dick. I hated dealing with Shaq, but that's neither here nor there. And then B like when you're doing it day to day, it's very easy to, uh, for the love of, of the sport to kind of get on the back burner. Like it feels, it started to feel more like a job. And now that MMA is my actual job, I, as soon as I guess I switched to MMA as my actual job, it felt like my love uh, of basketball returned and, and it wasn't as much of a, a grind, uh, if that makes any sense. So I don't know that I'd want to go back to it. You cannot just 
brush over the fact that you have interactions with Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> we need stories. I thought he was talking what about ma- Jack Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> what makes what makes Shaq a dick? Oh man, he used to have this thing. Seth would Seth would probably attest to this too. He would so he he's an enormous man, the biggest man I've ever seen mm-hmm. in person in my entire life. But he his voice he would talk real low and real deep. So you would have to like really put your recorder like right next to his mouth to to get anything recorded or so you could get the quotes later. And that man is a very sweaty man. He is ridiculously mm-hmm. sweaty. And so he would purposely what he would do is he would wait. And so you put your, your recorder his club to his mouth and then he would kind of like move his body. So he would basically be hovering over you and just giving you a nice shower of his sweat <laughs> every day. <laughs> what does he smell like? <laughs> sweat. Well, yeah, but I need more than that. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, he smells like a, a sweaty large man. I don't know. <laughs> wow, Shaquille O'Neal. I'm not surprised that he never made your probably enjoyed. <laughs> he probably enjoyed that sweat slowly dripping onto someone. It's it's a, it is an alpha move. I have to say. <laughs> oh, it's a total it's a total power move. Uh, but it's like, what am I going to do? I'm like a 21 year old. <laughs> kid trying to get these quotes <laughs> didn't check choke out gordon Girachek in a playoff game do you guys remember that that sounds familiar the news article came out i think it, this was 2008 off the top of my head someone's gonna tell me i'm wrong later but 2008 we just lose to the spurs and then yeah he chokes out gordon Girachek after a playoff game or something so you know it wouldn't really surprise me at all to learn that the guy's a dick in real life well i guess if he's choking out people that he's sees on a daily basis then a little bit of sweat isn't so bad (laughs) (laughs) and he i mean he enjoyed the sweat he enjoyed the sweat showers too he knew exactly what he was doing well that makes sense i I could see uh when you're that big and that famous you probably get uh, enjoyment out of some weird things (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel about this most recent offseason the suns the moves that they made trevor reza the number one pick deandre ayton first of all were you a deandre ayton or a luka Doncic guy be careful now I well, eh, I mean, at this point, we're all team Aiden, right? Like, we're all mm-hmm. on the same team yeah, at this we point. Are. We are. We're so, all DeAndre Aiden guys now. Yeah, like, I'm a diehard Aiden guy now. But I will say, when I started the season, I came in as a heavy Luka Doncic guy. And then, as DeAndre was sort of doing what he's doing at U of A, I started becoming more team Aiden. And then, mm-hmm. they had their early flame out against Buffalo in the tournament. And meanwhile, Luka's over here just destroying Europe. Uh, and so I, beca- I I leaned back more towards Luca, and by the time the draft came, I was really all aboard Team Luca, and I was actually a little upset that we got the number one pick because I figured we'd pick Aiton, and I thought <laughs> I was kind of wanted us to get two, so we would almost be forced into Luca because I thought the threesome of him and Book and Jackson all being ball handling wings like on the perimeter would have just been the most incredible form of free flowing basketball. But but hey, man, I mean, I'm certainly not gonna complain. Like if you would have told me. Six months ago, eight months ago, that we're going to end up with DeAndre Ayton, I would have been over the moon, and I still am. Like I, I am a huge, huge fan of what's happened this off season. I feel like this was a really important off season, and uh, I, Mikael Bridges wasn't even on my radar I, at all. Like I kind of had a blind spot because uh, we had obviously sixteen and then one, so I had like a lot of people looked into for sixteen and one, uh, but I didn't have that middle range look checked out, and so. I had to do a little bit of research on him, but I, I'm a huge, I, I love what this offseason's been so far. Yeah, I think this is the first time in a while where you can, I feel like Suns fans are kind of on the same page. We're all excited to see what comes next season, but 
uh, that's been <laughs> a scary thing in the past where I've been excited about some seasons that ended in disasters. I think I don't think that this season will be like that. I think they're made moves to actually be good. We were trying to be bad for a few seasons, so it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. I have to say, though, you said you're excited about every move in the offseason. There's one move we have to talk about. Devin Booker is now dating Jordan Woods, who is a Kardashian-adjacent person. Now, we know about the Kardashian curse. It's, it's afflicted many athletes in the past. Is there a Kardashian-adjacent curse? Is this something we have to worry about? Does that curse apply to non-Kardashians? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, here's how, here's how I feel. Um, I didn't know who she was until he started dating her. Uh, but I also find it Good credit to that- him. I didn't say right. it, but I, once I looked her up, hey, credit to him. Yes. Congratulations, Devin Booker. I think you're, you're <laughs> making a good decision here. But one thing I find interesting about all of this is nobody cared about Devin Booker uh, as far as the L.A. Uh, crowd, the Kardashian-adjacent people, until he signed that $150 million contract. I don't know how big of a coincidence that is there. Be careful, Devin. Be careful. <laughs> My only reaction there is, you know, I don't, I really don't care who these guys are dating. Um, <laughs> um, I'm right there with you, Mike. I didn't know who she was until this this news about Devin Booker's dating Jordan Woods. Yeah, it, it, I don't give a shit, uh, and I don't think I don't think the curse <laughs> is going to apply uh, to him. I think we're going to see Devin Booker absolutely cook fools next season. Um, and there's yes. there's another article that I think we're going to talk about a little bit later about even some some sleeper MVP. Let's talk about it now. You want to talk about it right now? Let's talk about it. Yeah, Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer. Kevin! The KOC, the only (laughs) national writer who even seems to give any kind of a shit about actually paying attention to the Phoenix Suns. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Exactly. No. So Devin, or what I should say, Kevin O'Connor, he wrote an article about potential sleeper MVP candidates uh, and included names like uh, Victor Oladipo, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, whatever. But uh, one of the... Keyword sleeper. You know, these are not favorites for the MVP naturally and and that's where sort of Devin plays into this as well well yes he listed Devin Booker but I'm sorry Kawhi Leonard was a top five player in the NBA so calling him a sleeper MVP candidate I know the odds say what they are but he's still an amazing player I name, so I don't know how much of a I could name like seven or eight guys if we're just going to quickly jump into this before we talk about Devin I think I can name seven or eight guys off the top of my head who are probably better MVP candidates than Kawhi just well now you have I, to uh all right <laughs> fucking count them up Let's see. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's seven right there. And I think that's a very reasonable seven to have ahead of Kawhi. I think that's fair. That's a very fair list. But... Kawhi Leonard could, he, first of all, he's in the East. There's a good chance that, True. I know we talked about Toronto in the last episode, there's a good chance that Toronto could win 60 games next season. And if they win 60 games, that's a that's a shoe-in for an MVP discussion. I mean, we saw it happen with uh, Kyrie Irving in Boston. It's easier to win games there. But the point of this, this is a Suns podcast after all. Kevin O'Connor included Devin Booker as a sleeper MVP candidate. I don't know. I don't know about that. What would Devin Booker even have to do to be considered an MVP candidate? What would the Suns have to do? I mean, the Suns would at least the Suns would at least have to win like forty eight games, right? Yes. Like it would have to be something crazy, like in terms of turnaround difference from one year to the and next. And here's here's evidence of that. Like you go back, remember how. Kobe fans say that Kobe deserved Steve Nash's 2006 MVP. No, 
No, no, no. But I want to bring it up for this reason, because you go back and you look at the actual <laughs> voting for that, right? Kobe is not second place in MVP voting for that season behind Steve Nash. LeBron James is with a 50 plus win team in Cleveland. Kobe Bryant is not in third place behind Steve Nash. Dirk Nowitzki is with a 60 plus win team in Dallas. Kobe actually came in fourth place for MVP voting that year because he could only drag that LA team to like 44, 45 wins. And I think that there is the best evidence of the fact that Look, MVP has never been and probably never will be about who the best player on the face of the planet is. If that were the case, then LeBron James would be sweeping in every year. But voters love narratives. And so if Devin Booker can lead a 30-win turnaround and take this Suns team from like 21 wins to 50 wins, minimum 50 wins, I would say, something like that, then he's definitely going to be in contention. But 40, 45 wins just isn't going to get it done. I agree with that. I, I also think it's just, well, here's, here's, here's a good way to think about it. The Suns won 48 wins recently, and all it got was Goran Dragic on third-team All-NBA. But Goran Dragic <laughs> didn't deserve MVP that season, you know. I mean, <laughs> no, no, but it should be it should be pointed out that that's all it got. You know us, it, so even 48, it wins. got us some serious nods for Jeff Hornacek as uh, potentially being voted Coach of the Year. If Kakashkov got that type of turnaround in his first season as Suns coach, we could see the same sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's a lot more likely. I think a lot of this MVP narrative, which is not just KOC, it's also on, I've seen it on Twitter and on Reddit. It's from from Suns fans just sort of starting that narrative. And we got the Kingdom narratives, Sean, on the, on the podcast right now. I think a lot of it's related to his practices on the Olympic team, the sort of Team USA Select team, as they're called. What we've got to see is Devin Booker playing one-on-one against absolute legends, uh, we, we've seen him play in Kevin Durant. That was the main clip that I've seen over and over again. He's playing Kevin Durant in one-on-ones. And when you see Devin Booker against Kevin Durant in one-on-one, what you're essentially seeing as an as a NBA fan who is a fan of narratives, you're seeing them on the same stage. You're seeing them looking at each other eye to eye. And that means, in a lot of people's minds, is this the next Kevin Durant? Uh, I, think it's, I think that's kind of where it's coming from. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, th- I think... The I, I, in general, it's been cool to to just see. Cause, I mean, this has got like this is a twenty one year old kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's still people forget how young this guy is, and just in general. But the one thing that I'm really excited about from this whole Team USA experience is it always seems like the young guys in particular leave this experience having gained some level of understanding of of just how to elevate their game to the next level. Like, what is Russell Westbrook doing that makes him great? What is Kevin Durant doing that makes him great? Just being around those guys and being in that environment feels like it can't be nothing but a really helpful, successful tool for Devin to, to take back to this team, basically, of kids uh, and sort of implement around, right? Yeah, and actually, to, to sort of echo your point there, it brings up, there's an article, got to source it properly, from ArizonaSports.com from Jordan K talking about what Booker has learned from his experience, and it's exactly what you were just saying, Sean. There's a quote here from um, Pistons forward Blake Griffin. Obviously, he's made a bunch of all-star appearances. Who was asked about Booker? He said, Devin's an unbelievable player and belongs. And I think he knows that. There's not a guy here who you look at uh, and you kind of think like maybe he's nervous or anything like that. He can hold his own against anyone. So first of all, Booker's going in there. He's being a sponge trying to you know absorb some of this knowledge from that coaching staff and from all of those all-star players. Um, but also, he's earned this sort of mutual respect at this point from these other players where they can really tell that uh, that he's going to be a real deal in this league, which is a good thing for us. Sam, I know that you have some notes on the last time there was a Phoenix Sun on an Olympic team. <laughs> do you want to go over a little bit of those? Yeah, I'll do a quick breakdown. I just thought this was funny more than anything else. Let's 
throw a quick throwback to the 2004 men's Olympic team, which was the last time, of course, since Steve Nash was not American. The last time the Suns had representatives on the Olympic team was Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire. And this was an overall disaster. Um, I don't know if either of you guys really remember it much off the top of your head. Oh, yeah, that's the bronze medal. That's the bronze medal mm-hmm. in Athens, Greece. They went 5-3 and three as a team. They lost by 19 points in their opening game to a Puerto Rico team led by Carlos Arroyo and no other oh. NBA players. Ouch. <laughs> and this this was so bad. The average age of the team was 23 and a half years old. Half of them couldn't rent a car. Many of the players feuded with, at the time, Detroit Pistons coach Larry Brown. The two captains of this team were Allen Iverson and Tim Duncan, which is hilarious to think about given the completely polar opposite leadership (laughs) styles of those two players and trying to imagine them with their own leadership styles in practice or if Allen Iverson was even there at practice. Uh, And then, yeah, I mean, Stefan Marbury, who was also on this team, told Complex in an interview years later that it was the worst 38 days of my life, end quote. Wow. I just really think this was really funny that this was the last time the Suns had any sort of representatives uh, on the Olympic team. Since then, the U.S. has not lost a single game in the Olympics in 2008, 2012, or 2016. Um, but I think it's also important to note that Marion and Stoudemire didn't make any more appearances after 2004, and there's probably a reason why. Mm-hmm. I have to say, though, would you rent Stefan Marbury your car? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> not for a second. Was, was he, was he Vaseline by then? Were, were we at that portion? That was pre-Vaseline. That was pre-Vaseline Stefan Marbury. That was pre-China <laughs> legend. I like how that's how you judge Stefan Marbury. Pre-Vaseline and post-Vaseline. That's how yeah. you discuss it. Well, you know, post-Vaseline seemed like a real glory years for him. He has a statue in China after all. So. <laughs> that's a good point. There's a musical about him. Let me ask you guys, what what do you think, because I was thinking about this yesterday, like what do you think the chances are Devin actually makes this team? Because it's, it's a 12... 12- Per man roster. I right? have the ro- yeah. I have all of the guys who are invited. If you really want me to read out thirty-five names, I can do it. Well, Sam, I don't know if you have it organized like this, but do, who do you think of those thirty-five guys is a lock oh, to God. make the roster? You um, have the list in front of you. There's thirty-five guys. You're asking me who's who's going to be a lock out of these twelve. Isn't it easier if I say who's not a lock? Like Harrison Barnes isn't making the final cut. <laughs> you know, see, okay, there's a bunch of guys who I think Devin is better than at this point, and then there's a couple guys who I think Devin is better than, but the national media hasn't caught up to the premise of him being better who, than. Who are those guys? They, let's say that who are on the fringe like, like CJ McCollum is a guy, you know, Devin's Devin's better. Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry. Like I think Devin is better than those players at this point, but I don't think other people necessarily believe that. Like is Greg Popovich going to make that call would he rather have devin booker than cj mccullum mike conley kyle lowry guys who are more proven also isn't there an element to it where it's not even just like he would rather have them but it's he would rather have them in two years because that's when the actual olympics yeah well so this is this is not only for the olympics in two years also they're having the fiba world cup next year and that's in 2019 so it's but but they can have slightly different teams, you know, for the two. Like, people people come in and drop out all the time. I don't know if you guys remember the 2014 FIBA World Cup. I don't even remember where it was off the top of my head. But those events, I mean, let's be honest, FIBA is less prestigious than the Olympics when those come around every four years. So you had guys like Mason Plumley and um, Kenneth Fareed representing Team USA for that. So if enough guys drop out, look, I think Devin can definitely make it at least for the FIBA team. But for the Olympic team, if everyone, if the U.S. is really trying to send their best players, it's going to be hard. But wasn't the coach of that team Coach K? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is a first cycle where um Pop is taking over. 
finally for Coach K. I'm willing to say that there is absolutely no way Mason Plumby would have made that team without Coach K being the coach there. <laughs> I think that had a little bit of something to do with it, uh, just to guess. But Kevin Durant, I believe, was the main sort of headliner of that team. So they still had at least one super superstar on that team. Uh, I, I don't. I think that there's a chance that Devin Booker makes it, but I think that a lot of it will have to do with how he plays in this coming season. If he increases his playmaking ability like we all want him to do, we all want to see Point Booker, uh, that type of thing will be the type of thing that could get him into that game. And if you notice, uh, a lot of the highlights of Booker are, there's two types of highlights that come out of these uh, these camps. The first one are the one-on-one highlights, which who really gives a shit about that, really? Because these teams are not going to play one-on-one basketball. So yes, well, it's fun to see these stars play one-on-one, on one but what really matters is how they're going to play as a team and the other highlights it's not even it's not even fun i just want to say <laughs> please don't go look up the video of kevin durant and devin booker playing one-on-one they're doing a one dribble drill where it's literally just three minutes of them jab stepping at each other like and kevin durant has a wingspan a foot wider than devin booker's anyway so like it's not fun watching these guys do these drills sure we're getting these puff piece articles out of it but it is not compelling basketball at yes, all. Yes, exactly. So the real thing is that how they play as a team. And when you're playing on a team with a bunch of other stars, you have to have the ability to playmake for others because when you're playmaking for others, unlike when Devin plays on the Suns team, you're playmaking for someone who can legitimately score the basketball. So if you notice the highlights of when they're playing as a team, Devin Booker's doing a lot of passing, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think he's trying to sort of get into that role where he could be a little bit of a playmaker and uh, and get on that team i don't know how possible it is I, I i'll be honest if i had to set the odds i don't think it would be very likely at this point but i really hope he does because it would be really fun especially next year to watch him in the fiba tournament that would be a really fun thing to see yeah i think that's maybe like this the first step right like if he can get into the fiba on the fiba team and then he really shows out and does well I feel like that's kind of the, the performance that can stay in people's minds that control that team, whether it's Popovich, whoever's selecting them, and they can maybe keep that locked in and it maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited for Devin to just be around Popovich, I think. Just that motion offense and just like another basketball genius. Like he, this dude's been around Earl Watson and <laughs> fucking Jay Triano and all these guys his whole career. It's like to actually get him around Greg Popovich and maybe like Koskoff. Like it feels like so much more could be unlocked. Just don't let him spend too much time around Pop, or else Pop might put his soul in the soul box. <laughs> I just want to point out that just the mere mention of Earl Watson is now a punchline on this podcast. We all started laughing just at mentioning his name. I'm sorry, Earl. You seem like a great guy, and when we met at Summer League, you were nice to me, So, uh, for whatever that's worth. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to play a game. We're going to talk about how some NBA players would fare at MMA fighting. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Okay, so we have a really fun game that we're about to play. Actually, you know what? Before we start to play this, let's talk to uh, Sean a little bit about um, some MMA uh, fighting and how it relates to basketball. Well, yeah. All right. So, Sean, first of all, I'm curious, uh, how are these your two favorite sports in the first place? Because stylistically, they're so 
different. I mean, are you the type of guy who watches basketball looking for those enforcer type guys and and those fighters? Are you really trying to do they bring different things to the table for you as sports? Um, that's an interesting question that I've never really considered. I, I feel like I'm just generally a sports fan. Like I'm big into pretty much any Diamondbacks, Cardinals, whatever sport you name, I'll probably just have a, a passing interest in it at least. Uh, but basketball, I guess I played a lot of basketball growing up. And again, the Steve Nash era just really drew me in and I never left. And then fighting, I don't know. I feel like you got to have some kind of sick twisted gene in you to really like do anything in this industry for a living. And I, 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 I there's nothing I enjoy more than watching fighting. So like whatever that gene is, I must have it. Uh, <laughs> so I certainly uh, can appreciate the the type of Horace Grant, Dennis Rodman's mm. of the world that don't really exist anymore in the NBA. But uh, no, those don't. guys, I, I used to really dig those guys. How do you feel about Draymond? I mean, it really feels like there aren't enforcers the way there used to be. The mere mention of his name almost just had me say, fuck Draymond. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty anti-warriors and you're allowed like, to do whatever that they're all podcast. about like you can ask me any warriors question whatever they're all about I'm gonna have a pretty <laughs> negative reaction to it are there any are there any players in the NBA that you look at and say that guy's legit that guy could legitimately be a fighter uh in MMA in the UFC or however however you want to look at it see it's interesting right because like a lot of I feel like a lot of the, the the NBA athletes, if they would have actually gone to MMA, would it be such incredible heavyweight champions, basically? Because just like if you get like a, a Brandon Ingram type or like a any anything like that, where it's a dude with a crazy wingspan, like that would translate so insanely well to fighting. Just being able to keep someone at the end of that wingspan and that long jab and whatever kind of teep kicks and anything like that. Uh, always, always the big long guys seem like they would really translate the best or like, uh, Nikola Pekovic types mm. where it's the big giant enforcers. Although wow. I think it'd be pretty wow. difficult for them to, to get under the heavyweight limit of 265. Well, for the purpose of our game, we're going to throw out that limit. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Let's Actually, none of these guys, none of these guys are even going over our limit. Well, I don't know. I mean, unless we want to. Boban Marjanovic might be over 265 pounds now that I'm looking at the list being the bridge troll that he is. But for the most <laughs> part, I think these guys are, are well within their divisions. So, yeah, so the way this, the way this is going to work is basically um, we have an MMA fighting expert, a combat sport expert with us here on the pod. So Mike and I are going to choose NBA players in each division. Um, there are no flyweights uh, in playing in the NBA there are no featherweights or lightweights either. Um, there might be one lightweight or two. In fact, like two-thirds of the NBA would be in that heavyweight division, and I should have thought of that before I came up with this idea as a segment, but I didn't. So we're just going to throw all those guys in the same pile. Mike and I are each going to choose some uh, NBA players or an NBA player from each division and throw them in an octagon together and argue about who would win. Since these are hypothetical battles and they won't actually happen, as far as we know, Sean is then going to decide who would actually be the winner. It should be said that there are no flyweights under 125 pounds, 125 pounds in NBA history, at least yeah. as far as the information that we're allowed to look up for this. The lightest player ever in the NBA, uh, a trivia for anybody that ever wants to bring this up, is Spud Webb, of course, who was 133 pounds. So even the lightest player in NBA history oh. is not a flyweight. We need to shove Demetrius Johnson into the NBA. Wait, hold on. He was 133 pounds? <laughs> That's right. Can you believe that? 
Oh my God, he could easily cut weight to fly weight. Then he could. He could. Oh, like, absolutely. These dudes aren't walking around at one twenty-five. They're walking around like one forty-five. He absolutely could. I don't know how good of a fighter he would be with a wingspan that was about three or four inches, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be interesting to see him in a fight. Uh, so we got to skip all the way to middleweight, right? Yeah, we got to skip all the way to middleweight, one hundred seventy-one to one eighty-five pounds. And at, as Sean was just saying, these guys are walking around at whatever they are so they could easily cut into different divisions but for the sake of this here's the first guy i'm going to throw ahead um throw in patrick beverly and let me just throw out some of the some of the measurables here we've got a guy who's six one he's got a six seven wingspan that's basically what you're going to hear about from all of these guys in the nba i wish i had the official reach stats so we could actually see like what sort of reach they could get on those jabs but you can't um and and yeah pat bev is coming right at the top end of that division at 185 pounds but this guy is just a hawk defensively. Um, and yeah, I mean, everyone knows his reputation. He hassles guys constantly on defense. He has great... De- here's the thing. <laughs> Before I go any further, here's the thing about fighting in the NBA, right? I haven't actually seen Patrick Beverly fight. But if there's anything that I think might be translatable, if we were going to throw this guy in and actually have him fight, um, given that he has no training, is the fact that just him having great reaction time, great basketball IQ, being able to figure out what an offense is doing before it actually happens, I just feel like that would translate really well. So I definitely want a defensive enforcer type like Pat Bev coming in on my end of the of the ring. So Mike, who you got? Wrong. Okay, first of all, if you're talking about someone who's got the brain for it, then I got the perfect player for you. It's Rajan Rondo. <laughs> Rajan oh, Rondo, he's six foot one. He's also 185. <laughs> so, yes, similar size, but he has a 6'9 wingspan, which makes a lot of sense if you've seen him. His, his arms go down to his ankles, essentially. And he's one of the smartest players ever. Uh, he, he's established connect for genius. Uh, so clearly he understands game uh, and game theory. He's always one step ahead. He understands how to uh, be uh, always ahead of everyone that's in front of him. And he's able to, maybe he'll be able to dodge some punches. He's got a longer wingspan. Also, he's a champion and he's performed really well at the highest stages of the NBA. So I got to say Rajon Rondo versus Pat Beverly. First of all, that would be insanely fun to watch. Yes. (laughs) How do you feel about this fight, Sean? Oh, my goodness. You're giving me a tough one right off the bat. So so a couple things, right? You mentioned Rajon Rondo's uh, ability to, like, perform in the clutch. I think that's really important because when the lights – when you walk out to that arena, there's 30,000 people screaming and the lights come down. And it's just you and that person inside this cage and you're about to fight. Like, that's a very weird moment. And I think someone really needs to be able to perform in the clutch for that moment, especially if it's their first time. However, I do think the biggest, most important thing to being a successful fighter is just being mean. Like, the ability to just be super mean and super (laughs) grimy. And I think Pat Bev would be the epitome of just a bulldog in there. Like, he would be doing all sorts of weird veteran tricks, uh, uh, you know, Pulling, tugging on ears, covering somebody's mouth, just doing whatever he needed to do to, to to get an edge in that fight. I think Rajan's maybe almost too much of a thinker. Like he would probably be trying to outthink himself in there, while his Pat Bev would just be moving forward, getting takedowns, working ground and pound, just smothering, smothering Rajan Rondo. I think Pat Bev takes that. Can we also just not ah! pretend that Connect Four has any bearing on how well this guy would do? <laughs> 
It's an important Rajon Rondo fact. When the documentary is made about Rajon Rondo and his career in the NBA, there's going to be a five-minute segment on Connect Four. You can guarantee that. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I'm up one nothing. You ready to move on to the light heavyweights? Let's do it. All right, this one's fun because it's a couple of uh, sons, actually. One former son and then one current son. And for my side, you talk about Rajan Rondo. You talk about a genius. Actually, you were just saying, Sean, that you wouldn't pick Rajan because he was going to overthink it. Well, I got the perfect guy for you, someone who's not going to think about it at all. And I'm talking about, I don't want to be here, Eric Bledsoe. 6'1", 6'8", wingspan, 205 pounds, again, at the top end of that range. Um yeah, just Mike, throw whoever you got at me. I, I'm I'm taking Bledsoe in this one. Well, first of all, I've seen how Eric Bledsoe performs in the clutch, and I don't think that there's any chance that <laughs> Eric Bledsoe is going to perform well against who I got because I got Josh Jackson. One, oh. he's six foot eight. He's two hundred pounds. Yes. He's not as beefy as Eric Bledsoe. He's a little, he weighs a little less, but his wingspan is longer. It's 6'10". And Josh Jackson, we've seen it. He's got the ability to be mean. We've seen him do it in the NBA. We've seen him do it in college. And he's just one of those guys that likes to get down and dirty. He's not afraid of the physicality. And he's not going to run away when things get tough the way Eric Bledsoe did. I don't believe that, that Josh Jackson has that in him. So I got to say, Josh Jackson's got to be the winner in this. But it's not up to me. So, Sean, what do you think? So, in MMA, the judges are just generally bad. Like, that's that's a common <laughs> phrase in MMA is you never let the fight go to the judges because the judges <laughs> could be all over the place. You don't know what they're seeing. None of them ever really train. Like, they don't know what they're watching. They're just going off who they think is better or who they like more. And in this case, you're, throwing, you're putting me in a corner because I really, really dislike Eric Bledsoe. And oh, I yes. really really like Josh Jackson. So I'm going to go ahead and say the, the motherfucker takes this easy. First round knockout. First round knockout. Come on. Josh easy Jackson work. Is Clean He's work. Nope. Mass. I'm saying Eric Bledsoe would knock him off balance instantly. I had the advantage here because he's a Suns fan after all, and no Suns fan is going to pick Eric Bledsoe to win any contest at this point. He said yeah, he, that was your he first wanted mistake. someone who's not going to think. I gave I gave you someone who wasn't going to think. That's all I'll say. But that being said, we'll move right on to the heavyweights. And again, this is the majority of the NBA, uh, 206 pounds or more. This one, Sean, I already know you're going with me here, okay? I I barely have to. This guy will kick your ass, all right? He'll kick all three of our asses combined (laughs) just by looking at us. And of course, I'm talking about James Johnson. Now, for people who don't know about James Johnson's background, that might sound ridiculous. But here's a little bit about him. First of all, 6'9", on the bigger side. 250 pounds, 7-1 wingspan. None of that is that important because here's the big thing. He's a second-degree black belt with a 20-0 professional kickboxing record and is a guy who I consistently see as um, like an example of this NBA player if he had chosen to pursue more MMA fighting instead, maybe could have pursued a career in the UFC uh, but decided to go in the NBA. So, yeah, James Johnson, I I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in the entire league who can actually beat him. Mm. he's got the all-around game i'm gonna say i found someone i'm gonna say i found someone so first of all this guy i'm gonna tell you about him a little bit first he's six foot nine he's 250 pounds he has a seven foot four wingspan so he's got the reach on james johnson he's a boxing fan 
Uh, he uses boxing to train. And once he was asked what his best off-court attribute was, which he answered, my left hook. And this player is now a champion, and that player is David West. Now, David West yeah. is one of those players that you do not want to run into in a dark alley, as, as uh, the great Jalen Rose has told us. Now, I agree, James Johnson is a good pick, but we've seen David West perform at a high level for a very long time. It took James Johnson a while to even make it into the NBA. Yes, maybe he worked hard, but David West is now a champion, so we've seen it at the highest level. So this one's a tough one. Uh, I'm not envious of you, Sean, but who do you pick, James Johnson or David West? Oh, man, I thought you had it locked up instantly with the James Johnson, and then coming in with the David West really threw me for a loop. So I think ultimately I'm going with James Johnson. But it's only because David West is just he's 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 an old he's on the downside of his career at this point. He's old. Yeah. As if this is prime David West, we're having a different conversation. Uh, But at this point, I mean, I have to go James Johnson like that dude is just a beast. And as you mentioned, he he's actually fought like he has actual fighting experience. Uh, I I would love to see someone like that get in the cage, actually, because, again, the, the level of athlete. Uh, on average in the NBA compared to the UFC. The UFC kind of gets the second-tier, third-tier athletes because most of them want to make the big money in the big sports like the baseball, basketball, football. To see like an A-plus athlete like that in the UFC would be just amazing. For the record, James Johnson was once asked if there was any NBA player who could take him in a fight, and he said David West. So that's where this one comes from, just so you know. Um, (laughs) This is good, too. They're both 6'9", 250. Perfect, uh, Perfect comparison. I'd really like to see this one happen. Um. Let's do another heavyweight. Yeah, one more heavyweight. All right, so, yeah, the, the reality of uh, the heavyweight division in the UFC, right, is that you don't see those 6'9 guys that often. You don't see too many skyscrapers uh, like Steven Struve in, in that division. So No, I mean, the, the heavyweight champion right now is Daniel Cormier, who is maybe 5'10 yeah. on a good day. Yeah, exactly. So I think I think it was important for us also to get a couple of those stockier type of guys, you know, not quite... Um, yeah, guys, guys who are a little bit shorter. So, I mean, look, shorter for an NBA player. So the guy I'm going with still isn't short. He'd still be <laughs> one of the bigger guys in that division. Um, but, yeah, this is a guy who I've trashed on this podcast before for his basketball ability, but not for his defensive ability, just for the fact that he possesses basically no offensive skill. He's 6'4". He's got a 6'9 wingspan. Again, it's exactly like Patrick Beverly. He's got this defensive scrappiness, an amazing basketball IQ reaction time, and I just think he'd be in the zone. He's a young guy, but he's got some playoff experience now uh, with Boston. And, of course, I'm talking about Marcus Smart. Mm, mm, That's a good pick, I will say. Marcus Smart, he'll get under your skin, and he's not afraid to bother you. But I I got a shoe in to win this one. And I will say this and this only – P.J. Tucker will oh. never lose a fight to Marcus Smart. It just won't happen. Uh, he's bigger. He's six foot six. Judge the man. Wait, wait, wait. Judge the man, Sean. I'm sorry. P.J. Tucker fuck. wins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just do that. You can't he just, just introduce. He you just can't did. just keep winning because you pick Sun's favorites. That's how it works. No way. No way. He's winning because P.J. Tucker is not losing that fight. You don't think so? P.J. Tucker is not losing that fight at all. No way. He's got too much pride. He's got too much pride. He's playing playing the five at this point in his career, and he's not Mm -hmm. even remotely tall enough to be able to do that. P.J. Tucker is winning that fight. Look, man, I think Marcus Smart is an overrated basketball player. I think the only reason he's on a basketball court is because of these types of abilities. So I think putting him 
putting him in a fight would be the perfect place for him. I'm, all I'm saying, I think it would be close. I think it would be close. Here's the deal, Sam. It's not that Marcus Smart would not be a good fighter. It's that P.J. Tucker will not lose a fight to Marcus Smart, and that's all that matters. Yeah, P.J. Tucker will go. Like You will have to kill him. He will just continue yes, exactly. to fight. I can't believe we've gotten to a point on this podcast where I'm defending Marcus Smart. That's all I'll say. Um, <laughs> all right. Full it's, circle. It's tied up 2-2. Two, two. How about one more will be the tiebreaker? Yeah. And I say, I say for this one, let's just fuck divisions. Mm-hmm. Let's bring out two ridiculous guys, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going with Dragon Bender here. Just because, not because not I think he would oh, be good. I just think it would be interesting. And so 7-1, wingspan, 230 pounds. He's a heavyweight. Um, and I just think this would be funny. Who, who you got on your end, Mike? Well, this is great because there's no Suns fan advantage in this one. Well, not necessarily, even though one of these guys is no longer a Suns player. But I'm choosing a five foot ten, 160-pound player who is currently the smallest player in the NBA. He's got a six foot one wingspan, and that player is Devin Booker's best friend, Tyler Ulis. And here's what I'll say. Yes, Tyler Ulis is the smallest person in the NBA. And yes, he's the closest to flyweights and maybe the only player in the NBA that could cut weight enough to be a flyweight. But there's no way in hell that Dragon Bender knows how to fight. And I know that he's Eastern European, but he's scared of everything. I'm pretty sure he's scared of the ball. He's scared to dunk. There's no way. Tyler Ulis, I saw him take on four guys in an elevator. He can take on one giant chicken. I'm pretty sure. They were manhandling him. What do you mean take on four guys in an elevator? There's four of them. I mean, look, he got jumped. He Man, got jumped. this question is so. This question is so inherently mean to to, to, to poor Dragon Bender. Oh my goodness! Are you what I think you're. Uh, so okay. So okay, I'm a, I'm gonna break this down like this, right? So I feel like the way this fight starts, they come out. It's a. It looks ridiculous. It looks like something out of UFC one, just because of the different body types. Tyler Tyler Hughes gets inside. He does some dirty boxing inside the clinch because he can. He has to close that distance. He has to make up that range. He starts roughing up Dragon. Dragon's not putting up much of a fight because it doesn't really seem like that's what he does. <laughs> he doesn't really put up much of a fight for anything. But I think once you make Dragon bleed his own blood, oh, no, maybe a, a switch hits. Maybe mm-hmm. a switch hits. Right? Like when he, I don't, I don't remember who it was, but somebody got in his face in summer league, and then he blocked the shit out of him. In the next play, like maybe if you're awakening the dragon and he starts feeling his own blood, tasting his own blood, he starts feeling a little mean. He starts getting a little, getting a little into the fight. Then he starts using his range. He starts using his size to just really out muscle Tyler Eulis. Tyler I think Dragon Bender not only wins that fight, I think it then propels his self confidence <laughs> of having actually won a human contest against a human into just being. An, all of a sudden, he's like an MVP candidate because he's just so confident on the floor. I love it. All we need to do is lock the two of them into an elevator, and then we unlock the the, the real dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Just drop a contract in the middle of the elevator, and only one of you can get it. One of you gets a five-year, $158 million contract. That's how we motivate this team for the future. Uh, I have a couple things, a couple players I want to throw at you, and you just tell me how, how good you think they would be in the octagon. Now, the first okay. one is... Boban Marjanovic, who is the largest player in the NBA, one of the largest players ever in the NBA. He's seven foot, I don't know, nine. He's huge. And but he's, he's, not he's seven slow. Foot nine. <laughs> he's like seven three. <laughs> he may slow. as well be. He may as he's a giant. He I'm pretty sure that he was in the movie Princess Bride. He <laughs> 
<laughs> he has the ability of okay he's slow he can move his feet though i've seen him do it before uh i'm not sure how capable he would be what do you think sean so i i would have like a month ago i would have told you he would be a shit fighter but i actually saw like a couple videos of him dancing and he's not that bad like he can kind of move a little bit mm-hmm. which was shocking to me so maybe he has the footwork and the agility to actually make this work i think he might be a half decent fighter if he tried are those his videos with Tobias harris that you're talking about is that <laughs> yeah. who that is yeah how Maybe, awesome is that? Like so. such an unlikely partnership between Tobias <laughs> yeah. Harris and Boban Marjanovic. <laughs> yeah, it's inconceivable. Uh, the other one I want to throw it at you. Is, well done. Uh, I, I thank you. I have to do this one. Uh, LeBron James. Oh Jesus! I mean, he could have been the best fighter in the history of the world. Like he could have just he could have been the best at anything really. But like if you if you take Twelve-year-old LeBron James and throw him into a wrestling cat class, a jujitsu class, and a kickboxing class, and he just does that for the next ten years of his life, and then all of a sudden shows up in the UFC as like this twenty-two or twenty-three-year-old, uh, two hundred forty, two hundred thirty-pound heavyweight, six-eight. Oh my God! Like he would, he would still be champion at this point. Like he would be basically the the best fighter in the history of the world. It would be unreal <laughs> what that guy could do if he was actually trying to hurt. A human opponent. Sean, there it is. That's the sensationalist quote that we're going to use to market this podcast to get hits. Yep, That's- perfect. We can put it on, uh, we can <laughs> aggregate it. Feel free to post it on MMAfighting.com. <laughs> LeBron James would be the greatest oh, thank fighter. You. <laughs> uh, the last one, I have one last question for you. On the Suns roster, on the Phoenix Suns roster, who do you think would be the greatest MMA fighter of all the players currently on the Suns roster? And Jack Cooley doesn't count because clearly it would be Jack Cooley. But everyone else, who do you think it would be? Oh, man, that's an interesting question. Here, let's okay. throw some people so, out. Let let's think. throw some people out. First of all, I think Marquise Chris is an obvious uh, answer because he's just beefy. He's like a massive dude, and it would be scary to fight. Uh, mm, nah, see, he, see, he seems like he would be getting real mad, flare, flail around a bit, and then get really gassed out. Like real quick, I don't. I don't feel like he would be that. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Trevor Ariza, uh, he's a veteran. He's been around for a long time. Tyson Chandler, he's a champion. He's huge. He's very strong. He's, he keeps himself in uh, good shape. And then, of course, there's the the greatest athlete of them all. It's Devin Booker. He seems to be a guy who never gets tired. Uh, he constantly goes and goes and goes. And he's the type of guy that gives everything every single time he's out there. So, which I mean, there's obviously more players on the team, but those are the guys that I thought of first. Man, I wish Big Sauce was still on the team because I, I think he would probably be my answer uh but if if he's not i think i'd have to lean towards josh just purely based on his his willingness to like just stick in somebody's face and be real dirty and grimy mm-hmm. um i i think josh although i i want to see more of mikhail play because i feel like mikhail might have that same type of mentality wow this is really great. I think we could do this more often. <laughs> Picturing these guys in the octagon, <laughs> it's pretty fun. And also that uh, that beatdown that I saw Josh Jackson give Eric Bledsoe in my mind earlier is it's it glorious by me for a long. Yes, it was glorious exactly. So Sean, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been really fun. I'm really glad that you're able to sort of cover the. Uh, UFC and MMA the way that you do and yes I almost said the MMA again (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that you're able to do that and still follow the Phoenix Suns and the NBA the way you do to be able to have a conversation like this about the NBA it's super great now do you have anything that you would like to plug um no I mean I I appreciate you guys uh having me like I said I'm a big fan of the podcast I I basically spent half my life on our Suns 
uh, the Sun subreddit. So I guess plugs uh, MMAfighting.com uh, if you need any kind of MMA source at all for anything. We have everything. Uh, I, I, every Wednesday, we ha- I have a new show with uh, Mr. Mark Raimondi, a good friend of mine. It's uh, our live chat on every Wednesday. I think that's at uh, 10 a.m. Phoenix time. Uh, and I guess follow me on Twitter, Sean Alshadi. Yes, and I will say, just Google Sean Alshadi. That's Sean, S-H-A-U-N-A-L-S-H-A-T-T-I. And you will find his uh, page on MMAfighting.com. There's so many good long-form pieces. This is not the kind of journalism that a lot of people do. You guys need to go online and check these out. There's a lot of really, really great stuff there. So definitely Google him and check it out. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Um, that's all we got. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Timeline Pod. Sam, you got anything? Um, just one sort of last closing note. Again, since I haven't said anything about it yet, thanks, Sean, so much for coming on. Um, I just want to say I have never been a guy to use iTunes. I always use Google Play and Stitcher for all of my podcast listening. So I recently went onto our iTunes page for the first time two months after we've started this podcast. And was just amazed by the number of uh, five-star ratings and reviews that I've been seeing from you guys. So I just wanted to address that quickly now on the pod since I recognize that we haven't in the past. Thank you. Thank you so much to the people who have been giving us those uh, ratings and those reviews. Uh, Keep them coming if you like the pod. um, Or if you don't, feel free to yell at us on Twitter anytime. And um, yeah, I think that about does it for this episode. Yes, thank you everyone for listening. Once again, thank you to Sean. I think this is a really great episode. I hope you guys have all enjoyed it. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com